And hello, everybody. I'm Spencer. I'm Matthew. And this is The Best, a podcast where we geek out about all the things we love. Matt. Yes. How's your week been? What have you been up to lately? Ah, ah, ah. The student nightmare of working overtime to catch up on classes because I am a fool. Oh, God. You you had a bio test, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is an enthusiastic podcast, and I fear I fear talking about made up biology tests is uh, an, a source of anxiety that I won't trouble it, you with. It wasn't too bad. I I got to actually go into the library for the first time this semester. <laughs> I work in the library for for a physical plant, and I really enjoy like just spending a half hour every morning just working around just quiet stacks of books. Yeah, it's, it's a very wholesome good place. It's very nice to be in. I, I regret not going in there more. Mm-hmm. Also, I realized that the uh, the AV library exists, and, like, oh, yes. I don't have to buy or rent movies online. I can just go to the uh, the AV library in the basement and say, hey, do you have, what was it, the, um, the Blade Runner sequel? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> of course we do. Here it is, DVD or Blu-ray. And I'm like, oh, well, this is awesome. I don't have to pay YouTube five dollars. Just go fucking steal the movie from the fucking library. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I'm I'm reading uh, the original uh, Blade Runner novel because it's not very big, uh, and I saw it just around the library, and I figured, yeah, I, I haven't actually read the original book, and I've actually have haven't seen the original movie. I saw the sequel <laughs> because we like had it on DVD at one point, uh, and then I was like, oh yeah, this is very good. I should watch the original at some point, and that's where the conversation ended. Ah, uh, you know, you know what, like really dumb kid I was. Mm. So, <laughs> um, as a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies. Mm. It was very standard across parenting. You just don't show your kid horror movies. Oh, I was allowed up. to, but I was too scared. They were, your kid's gonna have nightmares for weeks. Mm-hmm. I had nightmares after watching E.T. as a child. <laughs> and The Dark Crystal, but to be fair, The Dark Crystal was that, a little much just, for a child. Then th- that's... As a children's movie, quote unquote. That's oh that's my god, a lot. yeah, Muppets, but but also there's terrifying. a torture scene and the horrifying giant bug monsters. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so at the ripe age of like two, I don't think my brother was even a thought yet. <laughs> uh, I was, I had the, you know, um, you know how they used to have those really tiny TVs. Yeah. With like the VHS player, yeah, in yeah, the I, bottom. Know, I know the type. And they, they, they can fit in your lap. Essentially, you could just hold the TV in your lap, and you still can't see what's going on because the screen's too small. Mm-hmm. I had one of those, <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I had like a lot of different movies. And then my parents also had quite a few movies that were, you know, action movies, horror movies, shit like that. I over and over kept trying to watch Van Helsing. Oh my god! Like the yeah. original with Hugh Jackman. Yeah, yeah, that yes. was, that was a, a classic at my grandparents' house. Oh yes, house. my mother would yell at me every time she walked in and saw me watching it. But I wanted to watch it because <laughs> I'm like, ooh, cool, Hugh Jackman. giant wolf. Hugh Jackman is a wolf man. What's yeah. not to love? And now I'm just like, Haha, nice. Hugh Jackman is a wolf man. <laughs> it's a different interest. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I I think that started my love for like horror themes. Mm-hmm. Because that movie never scared me. Yeah, I have very recently stumbled into the genre of horror uh, after never really being a huge fan growing up. Uh, 
like slasher fix to this day don't really do it for me, but they're um, so good to make fun of. They're a good group movie. We, we as a chapter at one point had one of one of our brothers decide, hey, we should all watch Sleepaway Camp because there's a very <laughs> weird ending. It ends in a very weird place, and none of the rest of us had seen it. And we were like, okay, sure. And we got to the end, and then we all just collectively broke because. It's, yeah, it's a very weird movie. Just go watch the movie. It's... The last frame of the movie is not <laughs> is not what you'd think, you'd think it would be. No, you really don't. It's so... Uh... Yep, but anyway, uh, I think my first, like, dalliance with horror as, like, a thing I have fully fallen into recently has been the Magnus Archives. Mm. Have you watched or listened to it all? I have not. Uh, so, Corey, who I uh, was on the show with last week, uh, over last semester, he brought this to my attention. Uh, it's a podcast about um, a, an archivist uh, working in the, you know, the titular Magnus Archives in England, where basically he reads and records statements of people who have experienced, like, supernatural horror. And uh, it very quickly becomes a lot more than that as you realize the statements that he is taking are not neutral forces. They are actively a thing in themselves. Um, and it spirals into the full-on apocalyptic end of the world. Um, and pulls off, like, eldritch horror in a way that isn't Lovecrafty or, like, I don't know. The whole, the whole genre of, uh, Eldritch horror is very tainted by Lovecraft and all of his problematic bullshit. Yeah, I think that's just because he started a lot of it. Yeah, like the aesthetic of creepy tentacles and fish monsters. Immediately Lovecraft cool stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but also the racism and also tasty. Yeah, the the the, <laughs> the bad guy of horror over Innsmouth, objectively one of his coolest stories. The moral of that is the bad the monster is interracial marriage because the the inhuman monsters are breeding with with humans and it doesn't take doesn't take a lot to read into where he was coming at that from. Yeah. But I don't know. The Magnus Archives manages to pull off that genre of exploring fear and like what makes us afraid and why we are afraid of that uh and then turns those concepts into eldritch horror in a really cool way that you just find yourself unable to look away from so highly recommend that kind of reminds me of a, a, a twitter thread i read about um why we are so unsettled mm -hmm. by uncanny valley mm -hmm. and for those of you who don't know it's when something just isn't human enough yeah is the best sentence if i could like if, if there's One like, sentence, it's, it's not human enough. If there's like a spectrum between very not human and perfectly human, far enough away, something's cute. Like, like animation. A cartoon. Yeah, yeah. A animation cartoon you is, can realize, like, oh, it's just... It's a stylization of a person. Yeah. And then on the, the other end of it, there's a picture of a human. Yeah. And then there's the kind of middle ground where it's not quite a perfect human, <laughs> and, and so... that is somehow worse than anything. And it's so fucking weird. But they go on to be like, like somebody jokingly said, uh, what tried to imitate humans to the point where we got to be afraid of them? Oh, that's a spooky thought. Yeah. 
but then, and then, uh, so they kept, like, joking around about that, but then someone else came in and was like, hey, by the way, you know that there were, like, nine different types of, like, primitive human, Mm -hmm. and then how come Homo sapien was the only one to come out of the nine? Oh, spine chills. Yeah, so, like, it's just... (sighs) That's something I've always thought about, like, folklore in general. There are so many different variations of... Uh, different mythologies having different, like, humanoid creatures, whether they're fairies or puka or... Like harpies and shit. Yeah, just, like, things that are other races of supernatural sentient beings, which are still kind of just people. Like, why does every culture have their version of elves and dwarves and goblins and trolls and, like, recognizably almost human creatures... My personal thought on this is that, yeah, we psychologically as a species are unused to being the only ones. <laughs> like for most of our history, there have been other homos in the in the in the the genus, and sapiens were just one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you laughing that I said there were other homos, Matt? Yeah, because I'm I'm right here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just hit you. <laughs> Yeah, psychologically, we're not used to being the only ones, and so I feel like we all kind of come to the same conclusion of, it feels right to think that there's other races of creatures like us out there. Because most of the time there was. And now we're just lonely. (laughs) I think we killed them all. (laughs) Oh god, yeah, something like that. Yikes. (laughs) So my first uh, big thing I wanted to talk about this week is sea shanties. Or, Or folk music in general, but like, these almost canonized old songs that are still just catchy as hell uh, and have had a kind of resurgence in the, like, uh, post-internet generation recently. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like out of nowhere, suddenly all of us are listening to old Irish sea shanties and tavern music for no other reason than, I don't know, shit's catchy. I feel like D&D can also... Have a hand in that because it's a very, you know, in classic D and D have taverns and shit. Yeah, it and matches you, the uh, the aesthetic. Yeah, for sure. it has that aesthetic, and the people who like really like to go with like uh, theming music with mm-hmm. when they play. You're always listening to like tavern music, which is generally violin jigs. Yeah, that's which is awesome. Definitely one way it's kind of come back into the the culture. Uh, so good. So I kind of wanted to talk about like the history of. Uh, of sea shanties. Yes. Um, partly, well, I, I, this isn't something I've researched too thoroughly, but in general, uh, music at sea has been around for a long time, initially for rowing boats. So going back to like the, like Mediterranean trireme and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Viking longboats or anything mm-hmm. that you have people rowing, they're uh, arrives the necessity for keeping beat. Yeah. So uh, every rowing boat, so most of the Viking longboats, every uh, Greek trireme would have like a designated drummer. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have one person who was just like beating the same beat that everyone would match their oar strokes to yeah. by just having like, you know, a designated metronome, basically. And then, you know, by human nature, they were like, hey, that shit lit. Yeah. Let's add some music to that. Yeah, I feel like there's there's a tendency in any time we're doing like mindless 
manual or um, uh, menial labor. Like anything that, very repetitive. Yeah, anything very monotonous in which like your mind is free to just wander and do whatever. I feel like it's very natural and very human to start making or listening to music. There's a reason we all have the radio on when we're washing dishes in our min- first minimum wage jobs. Ah, or uh, to break away from this, waking up at Sunday at 9 a.m. to your mother blasting country music while sweeping and vacuuming the kitchen and living room. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that should be a very vivid memory in most of our childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose I should maybe retract a little on that statement. There's There are plenty of jobs of having music uh, just in the background, not just, like, the first job you ever have. But for me, <laughs> my memories of this were very much from... Uh, my first job I ever had as a dishwasher at Kyber Pass Cafe uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, it was this uh, delightful little family-run Afghani restaurant, Snelling Avenue. And I just always had headphones or little, little ear pods. And my boss would always just let me have ear pods in on one side. And I would just listen to music. I had, like, my playlist of just the music I would listen to when I'm washing dishes for four hours. And that was probably the first time I started really listening to, like, whole albums as as a unit of music when I was, like, maybe 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, because until then, it was kind of just whatever music my parents played. And suddenly I had, you know, five Full hours freedom. a night to, uh, to <laughs> fill with just whatever was on. And the quickest way to fill that time is to just, like, copy-paste the whole album into a playlist mm-hmm. and then listen to... I don't know, what's this new Gorillaz album? Let's listen to all of that. So yeah, I feel like it's it's very natural whenever we're working very monotonous jobs to have music. Mm-hmm. I feel like the uh, the tradition of sea shanties obviously comes of this. When you're rowing a boat to the same tempo, it seems very natural that someone would start singing a song to that tempo. And pretty early on, sailors would like include uh, musicians in the crew beyond just the drummer. Mm-hmm. In, like, tall boats in, like, the colonial age, uh, a fiddler or violinist would be, like, almost, uh, an es- would be one of the essential positions mm-hmm. in the crew. Just have someone, please God, anyone, who can <laughs> Fill play the music. silence. Because other than that, you're just sitting on a boat, either rowing or tying sails. Yeah, rowing for hours. For days. Doing for nothing. weeks. Doing, doing nothing. nothing. Yeah. But that. But then you have... Someone coming in. And, like, a big part of sea shanties is also a call and response mm-hmm. uh, form of it, which, as a music history person, <laughs> yeah, <go off. laughs> which uh, actually kind of originates from the church, as most music does, mm-hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> because, well, yeah. yeah. That's just, like, a major center point of music. Mm-hmm. But a call and response tactic was used in early churches because they were like, hey... Yeah, sure. Like we're all we're all doing this because we have a love for God and all that. But I think they're kind of getting bored just sitting there listening to us talk. Make it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, let's live it up a bit. Like let's get them involved. So they started like having a bigger choir and then having the choirs do a back and forth, which was a big big thing that started. And then they're like, "Hey, yeah. So we have these little books I know half of you can't read, but you, you, just follow. <laughs> just follow along. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing a call and response between choirs and the people... Uh, what's the word for that? The people that are going into the church. Oh, I'm not going to be of help here. I haven't done yeah, I don't know. Years. I haven't either. Parishioners? That's, that seems like it. 
the common folk. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. common folk of going into to a church. So that that became like the big thing, and then they were like, "Nah, it's too fancy. We gotta stop that." And then that that that's like a whole different. <laughs> that's a whole different discussion. Oh no! But like, yeah. it's the same thing that happens with sea shanties: is that you have a main person, you know, one keeping the tempo, and then you have one doing the call. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the sailors that are rowing would do the response and, like, the chorus of the song. Yeah, one uh, kind of style I have found is there's um, one chorus that everyone sings mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, a number of refrains, each of which would be, like, a solo sung by one person. Like a, like a verse. Yeah. Um, my uh, favorite of which, probably because it was the first sea shanty I ever learned. Is it the Wellerman? Oh, no, no, oh. Uh, what do you do with a drunken sailor, oh, which, we, yes. which we sang at summer camp. So what do you do with a drunken sailor, times three, early, <laughs> early or early in the morning. And then uh, several different refrains, either shave his belly with a rusty razor, put him in a longboat till he's sober, uh, stick him in a scupper with a hose pipe bottom. That's a new one that I haven't heard before. Uh, put him in bed with the captain's daughter, or... Uh, never mind, that's it. Uh, but you just go around and sing all of, uh, sing all the chorus, and then everyone would break off in, to take one of the, uh, one of the refrains. And that song, uh, has, has become a drinking song for lots of us who aren't sailors. (laughs) A a lot of sea shanties in general have. Very drinky vibes. It's a very tavern music vibe. Yeah. Uh, this song in particular, about a week ago, um, I was hanging out with a couple of friends, uh, a very small number of friends, being, uh, COVID conscious, um, (laughs) and we were, uh, imbibing, shall we say, and at some point, one of us started singing just quietly in the corner, uh, what do you do with a drunken sailor, and suddenly every single person in the room all <laughs> knew the words, and we all very loudly started singing it, because it's so fucking catchy. And that's the thing about a lot of songs in, like, that whole genre, is just, they're memorable, because they're not complicated, and everyone can very easily pick them up. Yeah, I, I feel like that was, like, the whole point of it. Yeah, because... you could listen to it once, and then drunkenly mumble through it on yeah. your own. Yeah, and, like, even when you're rowing, you don't have, like, the time to fully sit down and learn a whole song. But these are short melodies that often, that are very repetitive. You know, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, even if you don't know the words, you could definitely hum along because it's not super hard. Exactly. And then, you know, they're also doing it for hours on end, but... <laughs> oh, of course, if you're on a boat for a month, I'm sure you've sang this song 10,000 times. <laughs> you probably But it's better it. than sitting in silence. Yeah. So, with that, uh, we'll cut in here. Um, just brief clip of what do you do with a drunken sailor early in the morning. What will we do with a drunken sailor? What will we do with a drunken sailor? What will we do with a drunken sailor early in the morning? Way, hey, and up she rises, way, hey. 
Also, yes, there was a spooky version that I very vividly remember. There was a spooky version? Yes. Tell me about the spooky version, man. Oh, God. Okay, so, uh, any of us who delved into creepypastas as a wee child oh God. in middle school mm-hmm. or early high school, yes, you, you definitely know that there, there were some really weird fucking songs that came out of it. One of which was a twisted version of that song, and if I'm thinking of the correct video, it's like a little child singing the song, and then I oh, think it's the, never good. the words are like, uh, cut his throat with a rusty razor. Oh, of course. So it's like very, it's twisted, and it's all about how to kill the drunken sailor. <laughs> like, That's fair. Yeah, and it, you know, that was the first time I've ever heard it, and it didn't occur to me that that's not that the that wasn't actual... the original version? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. I like how that's a very common one, but, like, in my head as you're talking about it, like, hmm, that's a very weird one to start out with, but I also started out with that one. Then you started reading the lyrics, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, wait, no. I don't think we're thinking about the same song. <laughs> All right, uh, what do you got for us, Matt? Talk about crows. You want to talk about crows? I want to talk about crows. Tell me about crows. I fucking love crows. <laughs> They're a very good bird. They're very smart. They're very, very, very big brain, but also very much asshole. Do you know the difference between a crow and a raven? This size. Well, that too. But to uh, to paraphrase the McElroys, uh, <laughs> if if you see a, if you see a bird and go. Ah, that black bird is pretty big. You're seeing a crow. Yeah. If you if you see a bird and think, oh my god, something is terribly wrong, you are seeing a raven. Yeah. Well, like, ravens are about the size of a hawk. They are an ominous creature. They are very big. And they're very angry. Yeah. They're... Also, if you see just one, it's probably a raven. Mo- see, most often, yeah. If you see 50, they're crows. Also, ravens are uh, a forest bird. They're more often in, like, the wild. Crows are city birds. They're basically the flying raccoons of cities. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're little trash boys, and I love them. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a big flock in the Twin Cities that <sighs> we're well acquainted with. They're so good. <laughs> I think about their beaks and how somebody called them the Swiss Army Knife of Birds because mm-hmm. of the fact that they just eat whatever. If they if it's edible, they will be like, hey, <laughs> nice, and they just it. eat it. They, uh, they're ridiculously smart. Oh my god. Me me and Corey are just starting a project in our ornithology class that we were assigned we all got to kind of pick our like top rankings for for bird groups, but basically we were each covering a different um family or couple genera of birds. So Corey and I both picked the corvids as our uh, top yes. top answer. Independently, we both picked corvids as the nice. top answer because they're very very good. Uh, Don't they have like the biggest brain to body ratio? Mhm. Of, like, anything. Yeah. Like, full stop. Yeah. But bigger than us compared to their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, crows are very fucking smart. Also, blue jays. I didn't realize at the time <laughs> that blue jays were corvids, yeah. but, like, it makes sense. Yeah. And do you know what blue jays do? It's, like, kind of fucked up, but also kind of brilliant. What? We were, we were at the uh, bird feeders for our field trip the other day for uh, Ornithology Lab, mm-hmm. and at one point, someone asked, uh, because we saw this behavior where all the birds would be at the bird feeder, and then one of them would make a cheep, and then they would, they would all scatter and hide in the woods mm-hmm. because somebody thought they saw a hawk. Yeah. That's what that behavior is. And mm-hmm. then eventually they'd realize, ah, false alarm, and then they'd all come back. Uh, one of the people in our class asked, do any birds, like 
make the hawk call and spook everybody else and then come in and take all the yes. food. And Jesse Ellis said, yeah, they're Blue Jays, and they do that all the time. I love that so much. They're so, Blue Jays are fucking dicks. I've heard it said before that one marker of intelligence in an animal is, like, the ability to be mean and to choose to be mean. And Corvids are those birds. It's more or less all of them. Yeah. Like magpies and I think fucking jackdaws and starlings yes. kind of do that too. Yeah. But yeah, the corvids are mean and yeah. I love them. There's starlings this... Starlings aren't corvids, but they're uh, They're not. They're... they're songbirds, aren't they? I think they're some kind of No, they're 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 in their own weird thing with like oh, yeah. minas. Yeah. Which like don't, oh, I'm thinking don't of show the rook. Up here. I'm thinking of the rook. Rooks, yes. yes. Rooks are like they're like European crows, right? I'm thinking of the right thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're more in Scotland, I think. <laughs> uh, also, I just know offhand the um, the plural or like the plurality of uh, rooks is a uh, parliament, a parliament <laughs> of rooks. Why did? And then it's like a conspiracy. It's also a parliament of owls, but isn't it like a conspiracy of ravens? Yeah, that seems that seems correct. And then like a murder of crows. Yeah, we all know that one. I Why love... do we do that? That's a weird thing in English. But it's it's only I think isn't it only with the corvids? No, that's like it's every not? bird. Oh, every... it's not okay. I thought it was only just weird nerdy words for corvids. Tangent. In a few minutes, I'm just gonna go through and show all the pluralities <laughs> of the different kinds of birds. Oh yes, good. There's this video that I I've seen where um, this murder of crows was just like sitting on a rooftop, mm -hmm. and there's just a hawk next to them. Mm -hmm. The hawk is just sitting there because it very well knows that if it gets up to leave. This murder of crows is going to kill it because mm -hmm. <laughs> there's like 20 of them just sitting on the rooftop, uh, <laughs> just waiting for this hawk to take off. And you can even hear, um, so with crows is that they have like, not always like the head of the murder, but like the head of that specific branch mm -hmm. of the murder. So like the head will start calling out orders more or less. And then you have, like, one or two hmm. attack crows. Hmm. This is so coordinated. To... Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're so fucking smart. So, like, one or two attack crows will start going up to the hawk mm -hmm. and, like, trying to prod it to leave. They're trying to get it to leave. And then, and then you can hear the main crow call off the attack crows, and they back off. And then, an and then they call out another, a different call... And then, like, another crow will go up there and start just kind of, like, staring at this hawk to try to get it to leave. And it's like, they have... Smart as hell. Spencer, Spencer. Coordinated tactics. Spencer. Yeah. Crows have dialects. Oh my god. Really? They have fucking dialects. So, so like, a, a Maryland crow, like, th their cause yes. are notably different than, like, a yes. California crow? Yes. They have fucking accents. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. I love these dumb birds so much. They're so Round of applause for good. the crows. Also, in in towns, they they have quickly learned how traffic works. Yes. Like <laughs> like they'll take nuts that they that are hard to break and then and like drop it into the street. They they know when the red light means. So during a red light, they'll go down and drop a. a a, like a walnut or whatever in the street uh, and then it'll wait for the light to turn green and the cars will go by and then crush the uh, acorn or whatever and then it'll go down and pick out the seeds from yeah. it because they're brilliant. They're so smart and I love them so much. 
also, mm-hmm. there, there's a branch of crows that are just called hooded crows. And they have, sounds familiar. they have like a gray body and then uh-huh. like their head, tail, and wings are all black. But they're most often referred to just as hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> I, uh... I remember I brought up um, the Parliament of Rooks because there's there, there's one chapter in the the Sandman comics that's about that. Uh, but basically, they do this thing where you'll just have an open field in Scotland or wherever, mm-hmm. uh, and just all of the rooks in like a thousand miles will just all come and just stand in this field and talk to each other. Oh, and like they just stand in a field, you know, circle like pointing to one person, one bird in the middle. That'll just kind of be talking like it's giving a speech, uh, oh. and then they'll eventually just fly off or like murder the one in the middle. So it seems like a trial. This <laughs> bird has committed smart. crimes. Bird crimes. <laughs> this bird has committed treason against the fucking. This is why we need Charlie Kelly, who's uh, very versed <laughs> in bird law. Uh, also, as promised, I have our, oh, our yes. internet list of Good. the collective names for different groups of birds. Delightful. Uh, the the highlights of which are a wake of buzzards. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, cardinals sorry. have a couple because cardinals, like you know, that comes from a church position. Yeah. Either it's a college, a conclave, or a Vatican of cardinals. Uh, a peep of chickens. There's a peep of chickens, <laughs> which I didn't know that at all. That. A peep of chickens. I love. Because they peep, I guess? A banditry of chickadees. Really? Really? It's so cute. Uh, A dance of cranes. (laughs) Aww. A crookedness of crossbills. (laughs) Because they're crossbills. I don't know. Oh, I love how crows have like six. Yes, we all know a murder. A cauldron of crows. Have you seen when they're just like all spiraling around in a giant cloud? That makes sense. Oh, that's right. I can can tell that story. So, um, me and my old roommate, David... We decided last, uh, must have been like two Novembers ago, because this would have been 2019, before before the year of the pandemic and all that. Um, before the war. Before, before the bad times, before the now now. Uh, there was one night where a whole murder or cauldron or whatever of crows in like the thousands just came to campus one night, and David and I who are both mildly spiritual, witchy, mm-hmm. woo-woo kind of people in general, mm-hmm. we both just looked outside and felt like, ah, yes, something is happening. Oh, I Something think is I... happening, and there's a lot of birds, there's a lot of crows, and we all went outside in the middle of the night, and there was one oak tree right next to mm-hmm. our dorm hall, uh, and all of the crows were just sitting in or flying around to this one oak tree, and he and I just sat under this tree and looked up into the branches. And in like the middle of the night, mm-hmm. in like a dark, cloudy night, I'm just hearing with a bunch black of birds, cough. you can't see them all. Mm-hmm. It was just a cloud of birds orbiting around this one oak tree. Mm-hmm. And never in my life has it felt like more, more like the universe is saying, "Pay attention to this thing. <laughs> this thing is important." Have you heard, so, uh, crows have, like, yeah, they have dialects, but they also have, like, many different kinds of cause. Mm -hmm. Have you heard, like, (laughs) so, like, a a fear call of, like, hey, help, I'm in danger, is Mm -hmm. just rapid clicking. I have not heard that, but I can't can't, imagine. I can't do the click. (laughs) I can't do that. But, yeah, so, like, I I was watching a video where somebody had, like, taken in a rescue, and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this and this bird kept sounding the alarm, all because there was 
ate a little tiny crow figurine in her toy box. Oh, no. And so she found it and got scared. Aw. <laughs> and it was so cute. They're so good. Let's Aww. read more of these bird oh, names. Oh, yes. More, more groups of birds. Uh, we have a... Uh, a raft of ducks, or a paddling of ducks. All those make sense. A convocation of eagles. An eerie of eagles also a makes A mob sense. of emus. Okay, okay, that that makes sense. We all know about the emu war. That'll be a topic of, on its own one day. Emus kick ass. Emus are the national bird of Australia. And, we, and Australia actively considers them pests. Like... America, yeah, bald eagle, an endangered thing that we we brought back from the brink of extinction, and we love and cherish the bald eagle, except, I guess, in, in Alaska, where they have way too many, and they're just, like, they, they take fish from harbor people, and they call them, uh, what was it, harbor, uh, harbor rats? Harbor rats. Something yes. to that extent. I may be getting the exact figuring wrong. And then, meanwhile, in Australia, it's like, yeah, we got these fucking pests. Yeah, that's more along the lines of Australia's treatment of their national bird. <laughs> yeah, look at that fucking thing. New Zealand, they have the kiwi. We love the kiwi. It's I... sweet and protected. Oh, the kiwi. I forgot that. They have their national bird, and they love that. Oh, the kiwi's so goddamn cute. Kiwis are adorable. They're cute. Yes. So you know how everything in Australia, all the animals, are very big and very awful, very mean. Yeah, it seems like the testing ground for all the, uh, the, the hard, uh, life on Earth put on hard difficulty. Yeah. We, we got Australia's possum. We did? Yes. What was that Have mean? you seen an Australian possum? No. It kind of just looks like a cat. It really just kind of looks like a cat. I mean, Australia has marsupials, and that makes sense. Yeah, because but possums even are like the last marsupial in North America. But even then, kangaroos are very big, awful, yeah. and mean. <laughs> this makes sense. They're very mean to people. They don't yeah, like. Yeah, they can punch a person. They don't like us or kick them in the face. They're very, very rude. They're they are powerful things. <laughs> and then and then you know, also, koalas can give you chlamydia. <laughs> also, koalas give you chlamydia, and also, uh, they have camels. Did you know that there are camels in Australia? I didn't, but now I'm they're, afraid. They're not supposed to be in in <laughs> Australia. Do you want to know the story about the, uh, the Australian camels? I would love camels? to know the story of an Australian camel. So the British came, as they did. As they do. Uh, and they looked around and went, Ah, well, this is a desert. It's hard to get around the desert. So they fucking brought camels. Do you know how they got around deserts off in Arabia? They had camels. We should go get camels. And so they just brought a bunch I of camels to Australia. actually hate that. And then they all turned feral. <laughs> and now there's there's an active population of feral invasive camels in Australia okay, that the government okay. just lets people go hunt. Like, without a license. Feral just, camels yeah, is not... You're allowed to just go and shoot a camel. If I... you have a gun, you're allowed to just go... Go out and murder a camel. That's the Australian possum. That thing is fluffy. That's not a, that's like a that's like a lemur. That thing is fluffy and adorable, and I want to pet him. That looks like That's a possum. Like someone fused a couple different species of squirrel yeah. and a mouse. Yeah, but no, and then you huh. then you think about our possums. Our possums are cute, and I will hear no bad words about the no, possums, man. They are they are very cute. But they have this awful demon mouth. They... <laughs> I, okay, I will allow a few mean words about the possum. <laughs> they have this awful long snout of just fangs all the way down. They're a little snaggly. And compared to this thing, which is very Aww. good with his little bandit hands, Aww. 
We got the Australian possum. <laughs> Aww. We have the Australian possum. Mm-hmm. But yes. Uh, are there any more oh, good yeah, Of course. Good words? We are, this is alphabetical. We are down to the Fs. <laughs> There's a flamboyance of flamingos. That makes sense. Uh, there is a wedge of geese. Or a gaggle. I love... Okay, so gaggle is just, like, a word that you just yeah. use in general to, like, term groups. Yeah, yeah. And I love gaggle. Like, a gaggle of fools. <laughs> there, there were a group of... A, a group of, uh... Of, I'm gonna try to cover my ass so I'm not very pointing out the people I'm talking about. There was a group of, uh... Four straight white women at, in in a program I was with I was with at one point and my very close friend at the time uh, a, a a queer folk like me um, <laughs> and we realized throughout like this whole program there were maybe two dozen people uh, we all pretty much intermingled except for the clique of the four straight white women who basically only talked to each other and they became the gaggle. Uh, and they didn't know that's what we were calling them, but anytime they were being particularly clicky and only talking to each other, <laughs> me and my friend would refer to them as the gaggle, because it was just a gaggle of gals. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> lovely list of... A gross of gross beaks. <laughs> there's, there's that's a, just mean. There's a, it's a gross beak, G-R-O-S beak, uh, and the plural is a gross of gross beak. That seems lazy. A band of jade. A band of jays. A scold of jays. A tyranny of kingbirds. Oh, that's excellent! <laughs> oh, that's so good because the. Oh, that's very good. I like the tyranny of kingbirds. Is it a tiding of magpies? Uh -huh. Similar similarly, there's a realm of kingfishers. I like that too. A deceit of lapwings. <laughs> An asylum of loons. Aww. A, a water dance of loons. A water dance of loons. Oh, do you want to know a sad thing about loons, Matt? What? What's the sad thing about the loons? <laughs> they, they, they're real bad at flying. Oh, oh and, that's right. And they need a real big runway to get off the ground <laughs> and into the air. Because they swim on the surface, but if they don't... They need a real big lake in order yeah. to like get enough runway to get yeah. up into the air so sometimes they'll land in like a small pond and, and they, they won't they won't be able to like get up into the air because they don't have enough runway space and they can't fly so <laughs> they'll just get stranded in a little little pond and then they'll get st stuck there for the winter and then die <laughs> and it's sad <laughs> oh isn't there a i think it's like the hummingbird that um their their digestive system is straight because they're too oh, light, they're, yeah. they're too small, and if they too, drink too much, they can't fly because they're too heavy. Yes. So, so their body just digests all real quickly, and then they just they fly and they they eat, they pee at the same time, and just take off. Same with vampire bats. Oh yes. Who was I talking about vampire bats with? No, that was me, and I think I got the hummingbirds and vampire bats mixed up. Okay. I think I think it was vampire bats that their digestive system is just. Okay. Okay. Veering off topic. We're we're done with the the group names of birds. We'll get back to that. That'll be a segment one day. <laughs> so the problems with with vampire bats that can be a topic. The problems with vampire bats are that they are very small, so and small. they eat only blood. And blood is liquid. Liquid is heavy. So a vampire bat will 
land on a cow, bite its ankle, just drink up a lot of blood, but it can't drink too much blood or it will be too heavy to fly back home. <laughs> and so it <laughs> has a straight digestive tract. It's very short distance from mouth to butt. So it latches on and drinks as much blood as it can and then immediately starts pooping. It starts drinking blood and then the blood just passes straight through. It's still liquidy and then just <laughs> poops out the back. So it is both drinking blood from the from the cow and then also pooping right next to the cow, which is why they transmit diseases to the cows sometimes. But that's a bad example for vampires if that was how human vampires worked <laughs> oh god like that would that would take a little bit of the sparkle out of out of twilight if whenever uh, whenever edward or whatever his name is was yeah. drinking from somebody who was also just like wildly shitting himself at the same time <laughs> uh you know what you know it's very good yes i saw a vic and i saw a video mm -hmm. of uh, this poor poor scientist having an actual mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. <sighs> poor scientist. What, yep. What's going on? Okay. You ready for this? I'm, I'm about to blow your fucking mind because this is going to be great. Oh boy, I'll try. <laughs> so, water is lava. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Molten... Molten just means uh, liquefied by heat. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get water from ice? You, you moltenify it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that means water is lava, and Spencer, that's not the best part. But I, you, I conjecture we I are lava monsters. I, but, <laughs> but no, but we are not, we are made of mostly water. I, we are lava monsters. I, I, Contest your definition of lava. No. I contest your definition of lava. I don't. Water is molten ice. Ice is not rock. Lava is molten rock. Uh, he, he did go into saying that ice was also a rock, but I just forgot that part. Okay. But yes. If you conjecture, we, we, if you conjecture that, that ice is rock, yes. then water is lava. Yes. There we are, are lava monsters. Ifs. There are a few ifs in that analogy, but... We, we are lava monsters, and that's okay, the best part. I guess we're lava monsters, man. <laughs> God. Do you uh do you have anything else before I get to my next big thing? No. Alright. Uh my next favorite thing this week is space westerns. Ah, yes. Like the genre of like the sci-fi western hybrid has has very old roots. And has come back into my life in a very major way. I'm I'm running a um an RPG campaign uh, with a couple of friends back home um, using the Uncharted Worlds campaign system, which is like a, a sci-fi uh, powered by the apocalypse style game. Um, that's more detail than anyone really needs. That's more nerd shit than. But <laughs> yeah, but the uh, the gist being um, space western, but very specifically space Australia. Was the vibe we went with, uh, which is itself kind of uh, a history of frontiersmanship and all, all the things that, you know, created, quote, the West in America have happened other places, too. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as, as a genre, like Western uh, came out of uh, the whole mentality and pattern of um, of frontier towns mm -hmm. and 
colonial expansion, which comes with plenty of its own problems in life. But, like, the societies which grow around the outer edge of whatever system of government or country or society, those places have, I don't know, a very particular aesthetic of, like, minimalism and some of the ideals of, I don't know how you'd say, like, um, self-reliance. Mm-hmm. Self-reliance and the theme of, like, escaping uh, debts and your past. And pe- people who move out to the frontiers often do it for, you know, a variety of different reasons. But that that kind of pattern emerged in lots of places. Like, the same thing, or the same cultural patterns which created the, quote, Wild West in America also created a very similar culture in uh, Argentina, uh, in which you had, like, the gauchos, which were literal cowboys, because you had the same pattern of big cities up in the north uh, and then big open plains in the south uh, and a wave of, like, a passing frontier uh, in which ranching communities Mm -hmm. and literal cowboys of people surviving out in the frontier gave rise to a cowboy aesthetic completely unrelated to the cowboy aesthetic in America, which was completely unrelated to the cowboy aesthetic in Australia. <laughs> okay, we're back to Australia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like the... Um, particularly, I was drawn to Australia for this game for the sake of um, the, the concept of a penal colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had recently read the... Um, Song of Ice and Fire books, in which, like, the wall uh, at the the far north is itself kind of a penal colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, where all of the uh, the criminals or people kind of out-seeking glory, like the second sons of noble lords and uh, outlaws and commoners who don't have a future anywhere else, all yeah. go up because it's a job and you'll get fed and it's better than starving or it's better than prison or it's better than... Whatever, that kind of mentality of the frontier is cool to me because it brings up um, a, a whole power dynamic. Everyone comes from somewhere else to somewhere new, and the, the social and political cocktail happening there is just has a lot of potential energy to me. Mm-hmm. And so for this game, I modeled the like setting of most of the colony after uh, Australia. And when I was talking to my friends about kind of the aesthetic of this campaign, I mentioned the phrase Space Australia just to kind of get across the aesthetic I was going for. And they immediately took that concept and ran <laughs> with it. And to the point where we, since we were doing this very collaboratively in our world building, we just decided to call the planet New Australia. I mean, New York, New Amsterdam, New Vegas, or New... Uh, that's, <laughs> that's sorry. That's a video game. That, but that's also a Western. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the idea being, you know, New Australia on the nose, because that's aesthetically what we're going for, but also feasible, because that's something you might name a new colony. Yeah. So the specific game we're working with, Uncharted Worlds, has a, uh, a dynamic in the like mechanics of the game that I really like, uh, where all of the characters start out with a certain amount of debt. And that can take a lot of different forms. It can be literal debt. I owe this faction X amount of money. Um, we don't use specifics. Or it could be uh, like military service. Like I am, quote, indebted to whatever government I'm 
mm-hmm. serving for so many years of uh, my military term or a- any number of things like that. It could be favors you owe some faction or, or another. Mm-hmm. But that that concept of everyone starting out owing somebody made a lot of sense in a penal colony setting. So I styled this planet a little bit off of Australia and a little bit off of uh, the original American colonies because the, the premise of indentured servitude, which super totally fits the concept of debt in this game, uh, was a real-world example of this. Uh, of Or it was a real way of... So both... America, and then after the revolution, Australia. Mm-hmm. Those those are very correlated. Yeah. That one ended and then the other immediately began. Shift uh, of focus. <laughs> yeah. The, the idea we have of America as a land where people came out of the goodness of their hearts, rah-rah, freedom, that was nothing. That was nonsense. It was mainly a mix of people coming, people with money coming over to the New World because you know, power vacuum, We mu- there's no nobility there yet, mm-hmm. so plenty of money to be made, but most of the commoners uh, in America, as well as later Australia, were um, the uh, the recipients of convictions, of uh, particularly the sentencing of transportation. People in the British Empire who committed some uh, minor crimes, usually like uh, murder or piracy or something like that would would get you to the gallows. But if you were caught for, I don't know, mild thievery, st- stealing a loaf of bread. Let's let's go with the the Les Mis example. Uh, instead of being sent to like a labor camp like you would in Les Mis, in in uh, the British Empire, often you would be sent to America, and there would be some landowner who would like buy your contract and then would have you as a forced laborer for X number of years until you worked off your debt, and then you were a free citizen. But by that point, you'd already probably made friends and started a family, and mm-hmm. you had a whole life there, and so you were probably just going to stay there. So that concept of uh, forced migration, that was used by um, the government, which had you know a vested interest in having these large colonies, but not a lot of people wanted to drop everything to move to a different continent. Yeah, because, so, like, there's nothing there. There's no cities. Exactly. I have a city it's a right here. Of, you know, people who are going to be displacing anyway, but as far as the colonial towns went, any, like, brand new colonial town was objectively worse than London in most regards. Yeah. So no one wanted to move over right away. So this was, like, a program the government had to force people to colonize new places. <laughs> and that's the same yeah, and then that's the same method they used to colonize Australia too. Mm-hmm. It started out as very literally a penal colony. Yeah. So extrapolating that to science fiction in this sci-fi universe, I am fully imagining a very similar practice. I think except when, planetary. <laughs> yeah, on a planetary scale, once we become a interstellar spacefaring species, I imagine we can look at that pattern of colonization and see a lot of parallels to how we've done it in real life. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a certain amount of once a colony is up and running, plenty of people will emigrate because it's better. Once America was up and running, there were lots of people coming from all over the world because it was better than where they were coming from. But to start... But to start... You had no one wanted to go. No one wanted to go, so you sent your convicts there. Yeah, there ain't shit out there. They don't want to deal with that. Exactly. Um... So, that's kind of where this idea came to me. Now, the the genre of space westerns 
has a, a lot of history to it. It's like almost a hundred years old, and it first kind of emerged out of the uh, like pulp magazines and early comic books of oh, like that's the so good. Uh, yeah, out of like the thirties and forties. Yeah, mostly because like western stories were cool, science fiction stories were cool. It and eventually some, some happened. Big brain yeah. was like, "Hey, holy shit! I've got this." Big good big, fucking big brain idea. idea. Big brain ideas here. Got this big idea. Let's try it. And then everyone was like eating that up. Absolutely. And I feel like the extrapolation of space as a frontier makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like the whole Star Trek line of space, the final frontier. <laughs> if if westerns and like the pattern of you know cowboy aesthetic westerns emerges anywhere that you have an expanding frontier and you know new border towns on the edge mm -hmm. of colonized whatever space is an infinite frontier oh yeah in which there will always be new brand new colonies and frontiers and outlaws and then profit someone, off of the, the margins and then someone with an even bigger brain said celestial horror <laughs> oh god <laughs> we can talk about celestial horror and space horror on a diff on another day because That's i so have good. a lot of thoughts oh yeah Alien holds up, that's all I'm gonna say. Oh, yes. Uh, so, the kind of aesthetic of gunslingers, bounty hunters, frontier towns, and uh, sort of blue-collar heroes, that kind of uh, contrasted with a lot of science fiction at the time, mm -hmm. which in like the early days of like the golden age of comics, science fiction was often a little less Firefly and a little more Star Wars. If you kind of yeah. get what I mean by that, yeah, with like the kind of s space opera of like <laughs> uh, heroes of good and evil with big laser swords and grand heroic destinies, and now it's just like ah, some some fucking dusty kid got a got a gun. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, idea of westerns kind of blends the the black and white morality mm -hmm. of a lot of golden age stories. Yeah, I feel like because western, it's very much like you do what. Ever the fuck yeah. you feel like it doesn't really matter. It's a setting which has heroes and villains, sure, but well, in whatever which, side you fall on, yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> uh, necessity uh, mm. is often a much bigger motivator. Spencer, yeah. <laughs> Does that mean later on, in terms of development of the space ye boys, mm -hmm. do they have space Australia? <laughs> do they have? Yeah. Those big yee yee trucks, as I like to call them, with these giant Chevy trucks that are just tailgating you down the highway in we the middle of the night. We call them spaceships, but, but yeah. But do they have, like, yeah. Do we have specifically spaceships styled after semi-trucks? Do you have yee -yee, yee yee trucks, but spaceships? Oh god. <laughs> oh god. You're ridiculous, Matt. But, but like, no. because you'd have because you'd have the really nice spaceship, and okay. that's like your sports car, you know. Oh, actually, no. I can get on board with this. I'm 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 not yes ending you here. I apologize. <laughs> yes, tell me about the Yee Yee tr space trucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like a fucking bucket that you somehow managed to get mm -hmm. up in the air, <laughs> and it, and then and then you soup it up to give you these stupid fucking mm -hmm. lights and like <laughs> ram gates so you don't hit anything. Tie, tie a, a teddy bear on the the grill on the front. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I see ya. The big yee yee trucks of space. <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, I feel like the science fiction genre of like people in a spaceship going from one place to another, that kind of, like, nomadic storyline, does feel very trucker. Like, I, I never put it in those terms, but 
Han Solo is like a smuggler and a trucker. Yes. He's absolutely a space trucker. Yes. And actually, like, the whole kind of idea of, like, frontier town and with Uncharted Worlds, the whole kind of debt factor, that whole storyline is very Han Solo. <laughs> he, he's kind of like an archetype of this. I feel like even in the space opera style of Star Wars, there are still a lot of Western motifs mm -hmm. that kind of shine through, like the whole Moss Eisley and Tatooine and Han Solo and Boba Fett, the, the gunslingers and bounty hunters model very much shines through in Star Wars. And oh my god, the Mandalorian? The Mandalorian just is That's a Western. Western. Stop, start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. not a not a hero with a, a grand destiny and magic. It's, it's just a guy with a kid. It's a guy, I think, yeah. I a, think a guy with a, with a motivation I and think trying someone, to be, do the right thing, but... I, I think someone jotted it down as uh, the Mandalorian is basically a single dad with his child that can and will kill you to fill his... Uh, gas tank. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think with the talk of space westerns, we're gonna get in our big yee yee space truck mm -hmm. and fly off because Oh, we are. Yeah, Alright, take care, everybody. Uh, I have been Matt. I have been Spencer. Shut up, we're gonna try <laughs> that again. <laughs> I have been Spencer. I have been Matt. And this has been the best. Thank the you best. all for listening.